I want my words to touch you in ways that my hands cannot. So please, listen carefully. Life can sometimes make you feel inadequate, make you feel invisible, make you feel you don't exist, but these are the times when you must persist, and these are the times when we need you to shine. Hey there, it's Ife Markifeta and you're welcome to The Talent Next Door. What you just listened to was an excerpt from a live performance of Shine by the brilliant spoken word artist Alistair Hamilton, who stopped by our studios earlier this month to talk about her journey as an artist and her creative process. Our conversation also deepened into some pretty intimate and personal topics and might I add, extremely important for creatives and also everyday people alike. Here's our conversation. I hope you enjoy. Good morning, Listo. Good morning. Um, I'm very excited to have you here. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, it's a talent next door. Um, it's a show that essentially wants to um, be a beacon to a certain extent for people who are coming up and showing people, telling the story of people who are in the process of creating and what it takes to create and what they do when it doesn't quite work out and just the whole process. Um, but we're very excited to have you on the show. I'm very excited to be here and thank you for having me. Okay. Um, um, like uh, I was saying just before we started rolling, I'm very, uh, I'm very taken with a with a piece of yours that I've listened to for months and months now. So essentially, what I want to do right now is to read you a line from that, uh, read you a line from that piece, and hopefully delve into how uh, you came about writing it, where you were at, and uh, what the response has been since then. Um, it's shine, okay? And there's a line in there that says. You are a child of God, and your plain small does not serve the world. It's a, it's a really heavy, uh, for me, it's just a very layered, layered, layered uh, uh, line. So I just want you to take us uh, through the process of creating that piece. Mm-hmm. So I created that piece, I want to say back in 2013. It was a commission piece, actually. Mm. So um I had finally taken the leap to doing poetry professionally, if you want to say that, um, full-time. And there was someone I had met at a networking event who became my mentor in that season. And she was having a women's empowerment event, and she wanted me to open up the event with the Marianne Williamson quote of Our Deepest Fear. Mm -hmm. And she said, you could take whatever creative liberties it is, blah, 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 blah. I know you're a poet. And I said, sure. And I wrestled with it for about three weeks. And I was like, well, there's no real way to enhance this. Like, this is a solid chunk of text like what am I supposed to do with it and I was praying on it and a part of my creative process is sometimes I have to birth something and sometimes Holy Spirit just has me write it out in like 15 minutes done done. (laughs) and it was a 15 minute write out so Shine is a piece that I wrote but I was truly a vessel um, in that creative process and in addition to that Um, I feel that I had to be a vessel for that piece because it was for me as much as it was for the audience. Uh And in turn, that's how most of my poetry has been birthed or written in terms of the intention behind it is 
I am speaking to myself first and my previous or current circumstances before I can even speak it to someone else. Mm -hmm. Because the goal of my poetry is to ensure that I am empowering my listener. I have an opportunity to be behind a mic, which most people don't get that chance and opportunity. And have that devoted time of people expectantly listening, actively listening. So I want to ensure that I'm optimizing that opportunity. So when I had this chance to um, share this piece, it was something for me first before it was for someone else. So that line of you're playing small does not serve anyone, you're a child of God, Mm. that's not even my words. That's actually from the Marianne Williamson quote. But for me, that was... Like I structured that quote slightly different for rhythmic purposes yeah. to fit the the aesthetic yeah. of the piece, yeah. but for me that line was so vital because it was a reminder that if I am the child mm-hmm. of this great father, who do I think I am to think that he made a mistake? Yeah, and who am I to play small, not understanding that if I don't play my part? other people can't Mm -hmm. there are literally people whether in the present or in the future waiting on me to play my part i'm a future ancestor Hmm. so if i don't do what i need to do they can't do what they need to do so my playing small really doesn't serve anyone and in that season that was what i needed to know because i was self-sabotaging i was getting opportunities and getting help in certain areas of my life and literally self-sabotaging because of self-doubt. And that's really the mind tricks that the enemy plays with us when yeah. we're in those seasons of stepping into our purpose. And so the origin story of the creation of Shine comes from there. But for that line, that line is so potent, I think, for so many reasons. Again, it's not my line. But yeah. for me, yeah. I think the potency of my delivery is because it was for me first. I hear you. I hear you. Um yeah, just so much to pick upon uh, from, <laughs> from, from what you've said. Now, but just listening to you talk, um, it would seem that you are a Christian and a person mm-hmm. of faith, and that plays an integral part in who you are and how how you create. So tell us a little bit about your faith um, and how that influences what you what you do as a, as a poetess. Mm-hmm. Um, being a poetess is only one part of my identity Mm -hmm. and knowing that my identity is outside of my vocation and even outside of my purpose has driven my creative process okay i'm just gonna stop you real quick when you okay now i i i it took me a while to come into that place that we're not one thing that we're multiple things Mm -hmm. and we could be multiple things for different Mm -hmm. seasons Um, have you figured out I know you don't need to figure it out. <laughs> what would you say is your identity now, mm-hmm. your primary identity? And uh, yeah, what would you say that is? Right. So my fundamental identity that is consistent is that I am a child of the Father. Okay. And as such, that can't be moved. That's like, that's a fact. Okay. So my identity will always stream from that. The season that I'm in will determine the vocation I have and how I express that. Okay. Um, so for right now, the season that I'm in, I'm a wife, a mother, and a creative. Okay. So the ways in which I express my creativity, the vehicle has changed slightly. So it's not primarily and only poetry, but now I have like a six-car garage. (laughs) I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. you. And how how does that how does that primary identity influence 
what you write, why you write, how you write, and all of that. Mm-hmm. So when you have an understanding of who you are, and when you have an understanding of where you come from, yeah. you are able to stand in that the power of that. Okay. And so understanding that we all as individuals have power, my part of my purpose and part of my goal that I know is directed for me yeah. is to empower others to find their power. Okay. And so through my gifting and talents of words, I am then able to step into the fullness of my purpose to help you find yours, uh-huh. to empower you to live yours, to empower you to find the power of your words, your experiences, your story. Mm-hmm. And so through my creative process, again, not everyone has the opportunity to do the, what we do, which is get behind a mic and have that opportunity to share. So I want to ensure that instead of telling you about the joy between whatever, it's much more about what about the power that's within you Hmm. and how can you tap into that? And how can the words that I'm sharing with you be a gift to yourself that you can tuck away for the days and moments when you really need it? And less about me and more about encouraging you because sometimes we oftentimes... I've heard critiques of like women empowerment events and they're saying, well, what purpose do they serve? They're just empowering you, but they're not equipping you with the Mm -hmm. how to. But sometimes we know how to do what we're supposed to do. We just need someone to encourage us. To hold our hands. Yes. And that's in in part a part of my purpose. I see. That's fascinating. So even in this season of being wife and mother, that is one of the most pinnacle roles of supporting and coaching and encouraging and empowering. Uh And I still yet get to practice that purpose of empowering others to find their power through empowering and supporting my husband, through empowering and equipping my daughter. Um, For instance, with my daughter, we practice nightly affirmations. Uh She's 19 months. Her vocabulary is limited, but we sit in front of the mirror after bath every day and we go through our seven affirmations Mm -hmm. and she gets excited and you see how she affirms herself throughout the day when she does something good she claps for herself before i can clap for her Hmm. she will tell you i'm good i'm kind i'm smart long before i can even get get that to her so it shows that my purpose is still being fulfilled, even though the role in which I'm executing it in this season was different from my previous season. Yeah, and I think, but you say that so beautifully, um, but that's that's what I've been trying to say uh, for a long time to creatives and everybody I've spoken to, because there's a, again, I'm going to go back to, because like I said, I've listened to a lot of stuff <clears throat> that you've put out. And in a uh, in an interview, I think, or a, a YouTube video I pulled of you, you defined your success to you as living an empowered life on purpose and with purpose. Mm-hmm. And um, again, that's I can understand that it may be vague, it may be really broad strokes, but the definition of success I find even now, you know, for a writer. Uh, I had this conversation with a friend, but when you, so I listened to this podcast from uh, um, the lady who writes Eat, Pray, and Love, Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Gilbert, and she has this amazing podcast where she talks to people who have a very interesting way she has structured it. So she takes someone who is struggling with their creative uh, identity and matches them up with uh, somebody who has excelled and somehow makes the uh, 
person who earns by this stuff and who's become an icon listen to their story and all they're struggling with and somehow give advice and just whatnot. But she asks the question about success and how you define that. You know, let's say you're a writer. Mm -hmm. But the way we have defined success is that until you have a book in yes. the store, Barnes and Noble mm-hmm. or Grand and Toy, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, um, you n- are not necessarily a success. Right. It's funny because people will come up to me after a show and they'll be like, where can I find your book? It's not even a question of do you have a have book. Have a book. Oh, if you want to write a book. It's where can I find your book? And what's funny is with spoken word, yeah. it is spoken word. Yeah. So the assumption that as a performing poet, uh-huh. I should have a book is is very layered because, first of all, you don't fully understand the art form yeah. because it's spoken, not written. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Um, but second, to your point, what made you think that that, uh, that that was one of my aspirations, that uh-huh. I wanted to write a book. Uh, I'm imposing on you what right. I think that you should, right. you should have exactly. or you should be. Exactly, exactly. So while for me, yes, personally, I would like to write a book, uh-huh. it, my poetry book will be very different than my spoken word poetry because it's written poetry versus spoken poetry. Mm-hmm. It's naturally going to be different. different. Yeah. Um, but with that as well, I'm understanding that things have to happen in seasons. Right now, the primary vehicle that I'm using creatively um, has changed from being just spoken word poetry, okay. which means I have another vehicle of written poetry yeah. as a creative expression. Uh-huh. So it's one of those things, too, where in the season when people are coming up to me after show saying, where can I get your book? It's just not the season yet. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that I'm not successful. It doesn't mean that as a creative, I haven't hit the goals and marks that I need to to be successful. Mm-hmm. You came to talk to me to ask me where my, where my book is. Yeah. I think that you're doing something right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, like it uh, it's something I think we need to talk about and need to a lot more, especially people in the creative field. Um, you are no less a singer, a musician, um, if you haven't won a Grammy or mm-hmm. if you never get to win a Grammy award, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it's, Eddie Murphy's one of the greatest actors. Yeah. And has never won an award for yeah, any of his yeah, work. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but he is a legendary actor. For sure, for sure. When you think about his talent and his abilities, yeah, you don't sure. doubt it. No, no, not at all. But he has no awards to back it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hear you. So it's, hear that's you. one of the things where we really have to start changing our minds and our perspectives uh-huh. about it. For me, one of the things that made me know that I was being successful in spoken word poetry is when one of my family members came up to me and said, I appreciated what you did, but I didn't fully appreciate until I saw someone else do it. Mm. And when I saw someone else do it and I heard all this hype around this person, I was anticipating the same emotions um, to be evoked like within myself. I was, ex- I was anticipating the same experience yeah. based off of the numbers, based off of the hype. And this person said, you made this grown man look like a boy. Hmm. And I was like, thanks. And other people were like, that's offensive, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, but you have to understand that when someone is telling you that, it's less about gender and more about the concept of 
you overshadow this person who's supposed to be the pinnacle. Yeah. What I'm doing makes me successful because other people are able to to know that the experience they have when they encounter my work mm-hmm. does something that it, other artists might not do. I hear you. And that is success in itself. I whether you. I don't, whether I have the numbers, whether mm-hmm. I have the hype, yeah. whether I have the book. Yeah. <laughs> and I think to your point, that comes back to identity, right? Which is which is sorely lacking. We tend to, mm-hmm. we tend to. Again, just gonna say on the record here, I'm a I'm a person of faith as well. I'm a Christian, so I do understand um, when you talk about identity, which is something I have, uh, you know, I have uh, delved into for the last four or five years to mm-hmm. really understand what it means that we're not our expressions. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That, That's exactly it. Yeah. We're not our expressions. expressions. It's one of those things, for a way to understand it, um, I'm of mixed heritage, but I identify as black. Okay. So that's another way of understanding identity, mm-hmm. where I have these components that make up who I am, yeah. but how I self-identify yeah. is as black. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And, and so that's one of the ways also that I understand and had to process through identity as well. Okay. I'm named after my Indian great-grandmother. I didn't know. So her name is Alice Sital. Okay. And my parents were creative, wanted to honor her, put her first and last name together to create my name. Uh-huh. For 27 years, I did not know what Sital meant. I did not know that it was an Urdu word that was anglicized through, of course, the ocean <laughs> crossing. Yeah. It became anglicized and it's actually pronounced Shital mm-hmm. and means cool and calm. For 27 years, I had no idea, and it wasn't until I delved into the experience yeah. of, of explaining my name to someone who was interested, who said, did you know, and told me that. And it was affirmed by a complete stranger a few weeks later. Mm. <laughs> and it was interesting because for me, I was like, well, how do I grapple with the fact that my name comes from my Indian great-grandmother? Yeah. But I identify as black. If I identify as black, it's like I'm erasing her component in my and who I am. But I identify as black. I have, but I have her name. And it was when I realized, no, how I identify doesn't take or how I express my identity doesn't take away from essentially who I am, Mm -hmm. which is of mixed heritage. However, I identify as black. <laughs> so it's just a different yeah. way to kind of understand identity outside of a faith perspective. Okay. Of fundamentally, this is who you are. Yeah. But how you choose to express it can change season to season. I hear you. I hear you. Okay. Let's let's go from the start now. Yeah. <laughs> um, at what point did you know that this is what you wanted to do? Um, <laughs> Or let me put it right now that we talk about identity and seasons. At what point in your life did that become something you chose to identify with Mm -hmm. and express yourself through? I always knew that this was what I was supposed to do. Okay. Um, There was no question that language, words, the power of words, communicating, performing, speaking, writing were all a part of my purpose and giftings. Okay. Um, I was... When people used to ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I used to tell them Oprah. Hmm. And I used to do that because I didn't have the vocabulary to understand that she was a journalist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I wanted to be paid to speak. 
I remember being in the second grade and my dad saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? And Oprah was on TV and pointed to it. I said, I want to, I want to do do that. that. I want to be paid to talk. Y'all tell me I talk too much. (laughs) (laughs) I I might as well get paid for it. And that was just one of the ways that I expressed who I, um, what my purpose was. Uh, I remember going back through old journals from as early as I could write. And I was either writing poetry or I was writing scripts, commercials. (laughs) I was saying, and that's it from your, (laughs) your reporter, Elisa Hamilton. Like I, I've always been doing it. One of my mom still actually has it on the fridge from kindergarten. And Hmm. it was supposed to be a prayer that I wrote, but it's actually a poem. Hmm. We play, we love, we eat, we talk, we this, we are a family. And I go through, but the rhythm, the oh, natural man. rhythm has of always it been there. has always been there. Um, so in terms of how I got into it, yeah. I, when, it sounds so cliche, but when people say like, how long have you been singing since I was born or as long as I can remember, it's literally as long That's as I can remember. That's the case for you as well. That is absolutely the case for me. In terms of seasonally how I knew... Um, that this is what I was supposed to do and, and started to take it seriously was about 15 or 16 years old. I was at a Black History Month event and Dwayne Morgan was performing and he was doing a keynote. And my friend turned to me and she's like, you know, you could do that, right? And I was like, yeah, and I could do it better. And she's like, oh, ha, ha, ha. I was like, no, I'm serious. Mm-hmm. I could do that mm-hmm. and I could do, do it better. better. Yeah. And of course, that's your 15, 16 year old arrogance. (laughs) But that was also knowing from an early age what I was called to do. Mm. And knowing that I was called to do it with excellence was something that showed itself in that moment. And funny enough, I ended up doing a show (laughs) that he hosted, like in my first year of doing it, I guess you could say like professionally but um yeah i i was 15 or 16 years old when i was like spoken word will be part of my my expressions of my purpose um it wasn't until the year 2013 when after a long season of many challenges and figuring out a few things for myself that i was committed to having the year of yes and i wasn't going to say no to anything so it was a personal challenge my birthday is in october i usually start to think about the new year then and um create a theme for the year okay and so the theme of the year for 2013 was if you're scared say you're scared but do it anyways Hmm. and every month i had made a commitment and my husband who was my boyfriend at the time was my accountability person where i had to try at least one new thing a month that scared me Hmm. and so i tried paintballing hated it (laughs) never going back It was terrible. I screamed like I was dying. It was it was the worst. Um, I tried like one new dish, like all that type of stuff. But I remember in 2012, I was in university. I went to this workshop and it was about poetry writing. Okay. And um, this publisher was there and I asked him, like, how do I get my book published? And he said, well, you have to go to open mics and start building a fan base, reading your work and whatever mm-hmm. else. So in 2013, I had it in my mind, I'm going to start building my fan base my readership and so i kept saying i have all this poetry i really need to do something with it by this point i was performing in church i was performing like a little community events here and there um i had my first piece published when i was 17 but 
I didn't really take it seriously and consistent in, in my consistency. Okay. And um, that year, I think it was March, I went to an open mic, told no one, and said, I'm going to read this poem. And I read a terrible poem off of my phone. <laughs> it was the worst. Thank God no one I knew was there. <laughs> but I did it anyways, even though I was scared. And um, the next month, someone from my church said, I'm having this charity event, blah, blah, blah. I'd love to have you perform a piece of poetry. Um, I said, okay, I can do that because it was the year of say yes. yes. Yeah. And I was incredibly intimidated by that. But by June, the event was um, the last weekend of June. So that last week of June, I said, let me try this out at an open mic. Okay. And I went back to the same open mic and I went out and I went with my at the time boyfriend and we sat there. And I did the piece and was so well received. Mm. Um, the local paper picked it up. Look at that. Um, and it was a completely different experience than the first time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the piece was actually God-given name. Um, and that's how, and that was really a reflection piece of me grappling with my identity mm -hmm. and grappling with the different concepts and perceptions of it. So, yeah, that's a long-winded version of how I got into it um, in terms of taking it seriously. And from there, it was because it was a year of yes, just saying yes again and again. again and and again. Shine was written a couple weeks after that and uh -huh. so on and so forth. So definitely just threw myself out there and... Your purpose will catch you when you're doing what you're supposed to. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Um, yeah. The first time I heard you perform, um, there was so again. I, I find this to be a recurring theme with uh, with a certain type of people you see perform, and it does nothing for you. Mm -hmm. um, whether it is they haven't perfected your craft or mm -hmm. they're just in the process of coming into their own, mm -hmm. or m more more um, or more accurately because they do not necessarily have a story to tell just yet. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're using a mode of expression that's not necessarily for them. It's just the cool thing it's to do. It's a cool thing to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. That's uh, that's a, an interesting way to put it. Um, but uh, like I was saying before we started taping this, um, when I saw it in your audience... And just the situation surrounding you, and I know your hubby was there, and you had your baby, and all of that. I'm like, the first thing that came to my mind, just just by just just looking at the situation, was that you had to love this stuff to do it. Mm -hmm. With all of that happening, mm -hmm. yeah, I got back to performing three or four weeks postpartum. Um, my husband's a, a visual artist. Um, he's the owner of R. Thomas Art. He was right back into showcasing stuff because my daughter's born January 1st. Mm -hmm. So Black History Month is huge for black artists, obviously. Yeah. And we weren't, we weren't going to let that opportunity pass us yeah. just because we had a newborn. Uh -huh. So he had a show in the last week of January. I got a baby carrier, put her in it, and we were there. And it was funny because... I. I took her out of the carrier the first time I performed, which was at that show, and I gave her to him to hold, thinking she wouldn't like it, and she wouldn't be quiet, and all the rest of it. And I didn't like it performing without her, yeah. and I, she didn't like being away from me at three, four weeks old. 
So the next time I said, "Nope, we're not doing that. We're going to keep her in there," yeah. and we just kept performing with her. We have done so much yeah. since she's been born. I think I've done. I've actually in 2018 I performed more by June than I had of all of 2017. And, and why do you think that is? Like, what wh- what has she done to your art? Hmm. Um. She adds another level and layer of purpose because. For years before I was, um, long story short, I lost my best friend when I was 19 years old. Um, he was 20 years old. He was my poet friend in mm-hmm. particular. We used to be poet spar buddies, mm-hmm. really push each other forward. Um, and when you experience death at that age, from the loss of someone your own age, you yeah. really grapple with legacy and purpose. Yeah. Um, and he, because of his illness, grappled with legacy and purpose and expressed that through his poetry. So for a long time, I had, before my daughter was born, for 10 years before my daughter was born, I really grappled with the concept of legacy. And I remember when I'd be making sacrifices and I couldn't understand why I was making these. It was because I knew that I wanted to make sure all the work that I was doing was making it easier for whoever it was. I didn't know it was her, but I knew that I wanted to make it easier for my children, mm. my nieces, my nephews, my community. Yeah. And yeah, I I was really understanding legacy at that point and doing the work for legacy. But having that physical manifestation before you yeah. of like, I have to do this for you, uh-huh. like a person, a real person with a name, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it it. It pushes you to a different level. And when you understand the importance of representation, Mm -hmm. the importance of having yourself represented on stages and in places and spaces that you don't normally see yourself reflected is important. And for her to be able to see herself literally be on stages and in places and in rooms and at seats that she normally may not have seen herself is such a blessing and spurs you on. Yeah, fantastic. Um, fantastic. Like, like I said, and, and then you performed and it left me with something. I, I, I recall walking up to you when the show was done. Um, you had performed um, things that resonate, um, maybe because we share similar experiences or whatnot. Or, but again, um, when you perform, I know we may have touched on this a little bit, but mm-hmm. when you perform, what are your expectations on your like? with your audience like mm-hmm. when you I know that carries through the writing process and all of that but when, when it eventually leaves just being mm-hmm. letters on the page and when you actually have the opportunity to minister to people through your work mm-hmm. uh, what what do you expect it to do? I take the preparatory steps necessary to be able to get to that point okay. behind the mic Okay. so um, to touch on the point you made earlier People need to perfect their craft. Mm. And I work very hard <laughs> to perfect my craft. As in, if I can't say this poem while I'm putting my daughter down, if I can't say this poem when I'm driving in the car with the radio on and sitting in traffic with all those distractions and frustrations, if the poem is not a part of my essence yeah. where I can just pick up and just say it, okay. it's not ready to be shared. Wh- and it doesn't mean I won't forget things. I've forgotten many a time. But 
it has to be in your essence because you truly have to believe what you're saying. True. Okay. Uh, just for do yeah. you think um, so? What would be the difference? Would you do you think the potency of a piece would be any less if you read it off a page to people during a performance? Absolutely, hands down. Okay. Guaranteed. <laughs> Guaranteed. One okay. of the reasons I actually don't like to slam is because you, people don't understand the the delicacy of the craft of needing to know your words and knowing the message and the story that you're telling. So if your piece of Hillroy paper is shaking behind a mic and you're getting a nine out of 10, what am I supposed to get coming, stepping up to the mic with my two bare hands? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like you and I are not on the same level right now. And it's not that I am superior or anything like that. It's you just need to perfect your, your craft. craft. That is it. Because your words have have power. I believe your words have power. I just believe that the delivery of your words also have power. And if you don't package it right, it's not going to come out right. Yeah, for sure. no, no. <laughs> so, I mean, you could give me the, the diamond, but <laughs> if you wrap it up in newspaper, I may question what's in the newspaper. Yeah, sure. um, so I do take those preparatory steps necessary to before I even get to the stage. Um, I say a prayer in whatever minimal way it is of just like, Lord, just let me do what needs to be done before I get to the stage and whoever needs it, take it. I like to warm up my audience as well. Again, preparatory steps of just reminding them that what I'm sharing may not be for you in this instance, but take it away and keep it for a day when you might need it <laughs> because yeah, yeah, yeah. we will probably all need, need this reminder. I hear you. Um, and then after that, it's really no expectations. It's reading the audience to see my delivery of a piece will change after I read an audience. Mm -hmm. So if I'm reading the audience and I know that they need a little more this, I give them you a little go, more of this. <laughs> and if they need a little more of that, I'm yeah, giving them a little brain. more of that. I've had pieces where I've stopped. Um, like in Shine, I say like Shine like Will on that episode of Graduate. Sorry, shine like Will on that episode of Graduation Day. Mm -hmm. And I've stopped and had conversations in the middle of the poem Just because the knowing few are dying of laughter of like, yeah, oh, yeah. is that episode of Fresh Prince yeah, with yeah, the sunflowers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're like, I know, yeah, did you know? Yeah, yeah. And some people are like, what's they, they didn't get happening? Yeah. They didn't catch it. Yeah. I have a poem, um, Tell Them, and I say, I'm most deaf black on both sides. Most deaf has yeah, an album, yeah, Black yeah. on Both Sides, mm. my hand yeah, for sure. in a fist is black on both sides. And some people are like, that blew my mind. Mm. And some people yeah. are like, I didn't understand that at all. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, no, 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 yeah. that's fantastic. No, I have a, uh, a line here from God Given Name mm -hmm. um, that I wanted to make reference to. But now that we're talking about, yeah. because I think part of this stuff is, so you're a writer, yes? And then there's part of it is lyricism, mm -hmm. I think. Absolutely. In my humble opinion, Absolutely. you know. And so I picked up on the line today and it was a live performance I saw on YouTube. You were performing it. And I was, if I was in that audience, I would have yelled. Yes. Because I knew that line. Yes. I may not know all the references, yeah. pop, pop of course, culture of references, course. but you say in God-given name that you didn't want to rock the boat mm -hmm. for fear that you may be called Aaliyah. Mm-hmm. And I just, it just, yeah. I'm like, okay, that's, that, that, okay, I'm okay, like that's brilliant, right? right? That's brilliant. So, right, um, and and that's the thing with it, where it's it's supposed to be fun. This this medium of creativity is supposed yeah. to be fun. 
And sometimes people take it a little too serious. <laughs> and even in my delivery, going back to your point of what's my expectation of the audience, is for them to take what they need as they need it. Mm-hmm. So if you're a part of the knowing few who can pick up on certain pop culture references yeah. or that lyricism that I include yeah. in it, that's great. I'm excited. If you want to have a conversation about if you want to yell, if you want to shout, I actually encourage people before I perform, I'm like, snap your fingers, stomp your feet. I've had people throw napkins, <laughs> say Jesus. <laughs> like I've had the whole gamut of it. So I, I feed off of the energy that the audience gives me in the sense yeah. of I do the initial read, but based off of how you are consuming what I'm feeding you, yeah. I will serve it up however you need it to be served up. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Just fantastic. And just that, again, it goes back to the whole thing about craft, right? Mm-hmm. So I hear these little nuggets of uh, just gems in your work, and I'm like, okay, that's the person who takes their time mm-hmm. to write and are... Uh, Consume uh, content. Yeah. It's one of those things where there's some poets I speak to, some writers I speak to, and I'm like, oh, what book are you reading now? Mm-hmm. And it's not like, oh, in this season, I just don't have the time to read. But I usually like to read these and these and these. Yeah. It's, oh, I don't really like to read. No. Then how are you... You're going to write, really. Exactly. Like, if you don't experience from books to people to mm-hmm. stuff and all mm-hmm. that, how are you going to produce? Exactly. For me, to your point of lyricism, I... And, Joy, like I refer to myself as a hip hop head, but now with what hip hop is, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. But in terms of like early hip hop, like 90s in particular, I would sit there for hours counting out the syllabic counts of a tribe called Quest mm-hmm. or the Fugees yeah, yeah, or whatever it sure. is and rewind and be like, wait, I missed something. And then you see how they structure their lines. You mm-hmm. look up those words, you look up those synonyms, and it's fun. The best way I can explain my creative process is. It's like a puzzle. It's like I can see the full picture, but all the pieces are everywhere. And the pieces are literally everywhere. It's on the bus. It's on my walk. It's it's when I'm praying. It's when I'm cleaning. It's when I'm taking care of my daughter. It's literally in everything. It's not everything before me on a piece of paper. It's in all of my lived experiences. It's in that content that I'm consuming, that song I'm listening to, that line in that podcast, whatever it is. And then interpreting it into what I need to. And sometimes I literally will write out words and cut them out Mm -hmm. and rearrange them. It's like a formula. Math isn't my strong suit. (laughs) But (laughs) if math with words. (laughs) If there's such a thing. If there's such a thing. (laughs) That's what it looks like for me. Because sometimes someone will read it and they'll be like, but that's good. I'm like, no, but there's something that's not. And it's quite... And once I can finesse it, it's yeah. like, that's it. And that's how you come up with a line like, but I didn't want to rock, rock the, the boat. boat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. And I think for people who really enjoy playing with words, and I think it, to your point about about it being a fun experience, mm-hmm. it does something to you. Um, there's, a, there's a piece I have in the first line. I think that was the first stuff that came to me. But it just it carried me through writing the whole piece because it, it was so... I just found it. I, I, I said, like Kanye, there was a time I was addicted to flashing, flashing, lights, lights, mm-hmm. lights. And that's how I started. And it was, it was just 
I was so excited that I could somehow make that connection song of his and just try and, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it carried me through writing the whole piece. Mm-hmm. And then I saw, you know, it was, uh, you know, but that's just fantastic. And something I recognized in your word, uh, in your pieces that you caught my attention. Um, like even the titles of them, like God Given Name yeah. was based off of. Um, Erica Badu's um, song, and in the line of it, she says, "Call us by our names," hmm. because that's what we're as a child of God. Yeah. Don't call me out of my name. Yeah, for sure. Call me my God-given name, for and it's sure. based out of that line in Erica Badu's song. Or tell them is actually funny enough is based off of Lauren Hill's song. Yeah. Tell, tell him. him, yeah. And I listen to that song on loop, and it doesn't really have to associate with the content of Tell of My Poem, mm-hmm. but that's kind of how you find yeah, the puzzle sure. pieces yeah. everywhere. Sure, sure. You say she's innately wired to defy the laws of nature, mm-hmm. of gravity, and black magic. Yes. Um so again, another thing I have, and 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 I, and I like this about writers who are not necessarily boxed. I can understand the appeal from having a specific type of genre you write about. Um, I know it's I know it's need, it's necessary, and all of that stuff. But for writers who are able to, because all three poems I have here, all three pieces are, are certainly of different topics, from shine to black magic to god-given name um but in black magic you take on a whole different theme um what what uh, what what inspired black magic um my natural hair <laughs> in in a few words my natural hair so for me my hair has always been a, a, an, ex, an expression of my identity, a key part of my identity, okay. actually. Um, so again, going back to earlier on in our conversation, I'm of mixed heritage. Yeah. My mom's biracial. She, Her hair texture is completely different from mine. My hair is straight continental. Okay. <laughs> and my mom's is biracial and so when she gave birth to this child with a head top (laughs) completely different from hers or my dad's who is also of mixed heritage it was like what do we do now (laughs) so my hair has always been a topic of conversation okay and especially with this thickness this density it always draws attraction as well um so when i was i want to say 12 years old i got my first relaxer my hair was like waist length everyone overjoyed happy blah 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 but I didn't know what to do with it. My family didn't know what to do with it, and mm-hmm. it started to break. And so I ended up with having shorter hair. Yeah. Um, but I remember all throughout high school, I went through ebbs and flows of growing out my my perm, and then my grandmother being like, I really like your hair straight. Yeah. Let's get a perm. I'll even pay for it. And you, you want to appease your grandmother. And I, I didn't know what I was doing with my natural hair, to be honest. So I was like, well, okay. And so I went through ebbs and flows of perm, no perm, perm, no perm. Yeah. And then in 2007, the end, it was June 30th, 2007 was my last perm. It was the um, end of my first year of university. And I said, I'm not doing this again. Yeah. I went through chemical burns throughout my perm process. I've gone through hair loss and hair breakage. And I'm like, this can't be okay. How is this okay? Why is it that when I modify, physically, chemically modify and alter myself, yeah. 
it's acceptable, but my hair as it grows naturally out mm-hmm. of my scalp that I don't, un- I can't control, yeah. is somehow defiant and problematic. Hmm. So I decided you're going to accept me for all of me. Whoever you are, yeah. you are going. That's what it's going to be. I don't care if you think it's professional or not. I don't think if you'd like it better when it's long and all the way down my back. I don't care. It is how my hair naturally grows out of my head. And if it's okay for Becky, then it's okay for me. <laughs> and that's, that was the conclusion that I reached. And so I started my natural hair journey earlier than the, the trend started. Yeah. Um, and I went through that process. And I remember people just being like, why does your hair do that? Like being even in the first grade, your hair doesn't move. <laughs> um, why does it not move? Well, because it defies gravity. It does something that your hair cannot, cannot do. do. And we as black people are literally the only people on the face of the planet that have the ability to defy gravity. So are we there not magical? Hmm. So it, I wrote Black Magic around the beginning of the Black Magic Girl trend and it was really based out of we are magical creatures who no. defy and not creatures in we are other no, 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 no. but we are magical innately so and my hair was personified to to show that while she may be all these things yeah. you cannot bind her into whatever makes you feel comfortable i hear you wow that's deep. <laughs> and I think that's like one of my shortest spoken word poems. It's like a minute long, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And it, to your point, it's, it's powerful because you pack a lot. That's what makes playing with words fun. Yeah. It's I gave myself a minute. I, that was just a writing challenge I gave myself. And that's what came out of it. <sighs> it's, it's, I'm enjoying that so much. It's crazy. <laughs> um, so, um, your body of work, um, you want to tell us a bit about uh, what you've done, places you've performed at, and uh, what, I know we're in a season right now where you've chosen to express yourself in a slightly different way, but carrying, carrying through the same uh, purpose and commission, but uh, what, in terms of pursuing this, what have you done? Um. So like I said, I began in 2013 formally, I guess you could refer to it as. I've performed in London, England, which is where um, God Given Name was performed in, on the YouTube video wow. um, that many people have seen. Um, my poetry has been on the walls of a Ugandan um, orphanage community house that um, I have actually never seen because I've never been to Uganda. But to know that hmm. um, that piece of poetry yeah. um, that I wrote specifically for the girls of that community yeah. is being seen and consumed on a regular basis is just so powerful. Um, I've opened for um, author Lawrence Hill. I remember writing a poem that I did, and it's about language and culture. And I wrote it specifically for that opening and Mm. him sitting. I'm not going to cry. (laughs) I remember him sitting in the audience watching me perform like an actual audience member, not this elite author that he is, but actually taking it in and providing me feedback afterwards. And I was blown away because I was like, how is this life? Because I swear two months ago, I was literally sitting in my family's living room watching 
the book of Negroes. Mm-hmm. Like this doesn't even uh-huh. <laughs> make sense. Mm-hmm. So to be able to have him consume that was a very um, powerful experience for me. Um, I have performed across Canada. Um, I have published work uh, most recently in an African and diaspora anthology. So it has a collection of writing from, um, again, people of the diaspora and from the continent across the world. Just sharing and to be able to contribute to that narrative is also a powerful thing, I feel, for my personal legacy. Um, So that's... uh, Short. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I see version. you have a, a few awards under your belt as well, right? Uh, yes. Harry Dale? Yes, um, the Harry Dale Literary Award. I was, I refer to myself as the most recent, but I was also the last <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, recipient of the Harry Dale Literary Award. And that was one of the um, more validating awards that I had okay. received because the concept of it is for an emerging writer and providing you with resources to help you in writing and publication of your book. And um, to have it validated by a group of people within the arts uh, and say, we see we see you mm-hmm. and we see your potential and we are choosing to support you mm-hmm. um, was a very validating experience because I received that award very early on in my career. Mm. Um, so that was, uh, and it comes back to timing too, because I had actually applied for that um, because it was a, a process that you had to go through. Okay. And I had applied the, the previous year before I won, and I didn't get it. I see. And it was a subsequent year that uh-huh. I did. And it, the amount of growth I had done in my career within that in, year. In that 12-month span. Yeah, really made a difference and equipped me to be a better writer, to know how to package myself better, just having greater business acumen, yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Sure. Um, yeah, which I think helped in equipping me and being the recipient. For sure. Awesome. I, I, I often ask this question at this point of the show um, about, um, so we have all of this stuff that we're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are seasons where things go south. Mm-hmm. Yes, try as we might. Uh, yes. <laughs> just, uh, you know, we, we, we don't want to be close to that which we're passionate about because the world is coming undone. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're going crazy. Yeah. Um, so I ask it in two ways. What do you do and how do you cope during those seasons? And how does your art or your passion play into that coping mechanism, if at all it does? Mm-hmm. And how are you able to, you know, wake up every morning and, and keep at it even when the last thing you want to do is to be doing what you love? Mm-hmm. So 2017 was one of those years for me. Um, twenty, And it's funny because 2017 was the year that I got married and I got pregnant. Hmm. And so a lot of people would be like, what? Why would that be a hard thing? Um, I got married February 25th, 2017. And within the first six weeks of our marriage, um, I had moved out from the home that I had lived in for 20 years okay. it, to a new city with my hu- now husband, so I got a new title, living in a new city, yeah. um, living together for the first time. And our family structure and our family di- dynamic was changing. Yeah. Uh, out of my extended family, the baby was 12 years old. And then my brother announced a week after our wedding that they were expecting. They were five months pregnant. And they didn't know. So the, their, the 12-year <laughs> dry spell was over and unexpectedly so. Wow. Um, that was the first week of our marriage. 
after all these abundant changes, a week after that, um, my grandmother was sick. Uh, two weeks after that, she um, admitted herself to the hospital, which was huge because she refused to go. Mm-hmm. Um, a week after that, I didn't know it would be the last time I would speak to her in her cognizant mind and see her. Um, and she she passed shortly after that. I'm so within the first six weeks of our marriage, I have all this upheaval happening of just normal marriage stuff. Yeah. But then my family dynamic has changed. The person that I have literally had in my life as long as my parents have, like, for instance, like, these, a constant is now left. The matriarch has now left. Mm-hmm. It, it, it really rocks um, your concept and understanding because even though she lived a full life, that's still a loss and a grief that you have to experience. For sure. Um, during what's supposed to be a joyous occasion. Um, her funeral was in March and April 25th was our two-month anniversary. Um and I did a pregnancy test and I was pregnant. And that was not our plan. <laughs> that was not our plan. Yeah. And I had a really challenging time grieving, not just the loss of my grandmother, but the loss of my previous life before being married, the loss of my expectations and hopes of what I thought our first year of marriage would have looked like, which didn't include me be- being pregnant, mm-hmm. um, and just how things had to quickly change and and be modified and having to grieve the loss of what you hoped for. And I didn't take it easy. Maybe it was pregnancy made it worse, but I didn't take it very easy. And it was challenging. There were really challenging days. Um, years ago, while I was in university, I struggled with depression and anxiety. And so um, while I worked out of that and and spoken word poetry helped me through that and equipping myself with knowing my triggers and all the rest of it um i knew i didn't want to ever get back to that place so i had to work very hard in 2017 to get out of that place that i didn't create Hmm. um because i was so focused on just making it to the next day that i it was literally i would have sometimes it wasn't even the next day it was the next moment it was what you're going to do is get out of bed. That's all you've got to do. You don't have to do anything else but get out of bed. And when you get out of bed, once I got up, then it was like, all you have to do is make it to the washroom. Yeah. And that's it. And once I, you do what you need to, what I got, all I got to do is get downstairs. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And it was literally moment to moment just to make it to the next moment. And my gracious, gracious husband, <laughs> that's not what you would expect to be happening in your first year of marriage. Hmm. Um and he would ask me about my art. He would ask me, and I would tell him, maybe I'm just supposed to be like a nine-to-fiver. <laughs> maybe I'm just supposed to be, knowing that wasn't the true expression of my purpose yeah. um, and struggling with it. Yeah. But writing couldn't help me in that season. Um, creating couldn't help me in that season. But I needed that season so that 2018 could happen mm-hmm. because I was able to write new pieces with new intention, new purpose, new out, like outlooks and insights that I didn't have because de- battling um, these types of thoughts and challenges um, when you have a family is very different than when it's just you by yourself. Yeah. You now serve a purpose that's greater than, than just... Yourself. Yeah, exactly. So... It was really my goal 2017 was just survive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if writing's not a part of it, that's okay. And I still performed. I still performed um, and in more ways than one, not just behind a mic. You have to perform just to, to, to get, get through that season. But 2018 came and it was made 2017 worth it. I hear you. 
I hear you. Um, did the Think Differently Affirmation cards mm-hmm. start around that time it or did. it had always been? No, so Think Differently Affirmation cards were birthed through my experience of 2017. 2017. Okay. Because sometimes my husband would say to me, you just have to tell yourself to do it. Because I'm like, I don't want to do this, whatever it may be. Yeah. I don't want to do this. Okay. And he'd be like, but you have to do it. But I don't want to. But it's not about what you want. It's what you tell yourself. And he had to remind me of my personal belief of the power of words. And that's what birthed the Think Differently affirmation cards. Um, I started writing a bunch of sticky notes of, I can do this. I am doing this. I am this. I am good. I am worthy. I am worthy of getting up and drinking a glass of water. <laughs> like, it sounds ridiculous, but when you're battling with certain things, yeah. that's what you have to do. And so I would have, I am good. I am worthy. I am capable. I'm capable of making it out the door today. Yeah. Um, I can do this. I am worthy of receiving that. And so these sticky notes had to evolve. I say, I always say that our house ended up looking like being Mary Jane season one (laughs) because the sticky notes were everywhere and I had to contain it. And um, the think differently affirmation cards were my approach to containing it. It, the affirmations, the power of words, it even helped me through my labor because there's moments where I would say out loud, I can do this. I am capable. My body knows what it's doing. And in those moments, I was able to push past the challenge. And when I couldn't believe it for myself, I would ask my husband or my midwife and be like, I could do this, right? (laughs) (laughs) I could do this, right? And they would have to say, you "You can can do this. And so that's really how the Think Differently affirmation line developed. That's just awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that that story with us. Thank you. Thank Thank you so much. Um... I want to talk about Momo Mama Monday. Yes. I follow you on Instagram. Yes. And <laughs> I watch those videos, which yes. are exciting. And um, it's just the passion with which you, you, you uh, <laughs> deliver. You deliver. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's infectious. Uh, so just uh, tell us about what, what that's about and mm-hmm. what, you, what you hope to achieve by it. So Momo's Mama Monday was literally birthed at the kitchen table of me venting to my husband at about eight months because it's almost a year since I started it um my daughter's about eight months so eight months into my mom journey Mm -hmm. and I was like this is crazy and this is ridiculous and I don't understand and no one talks about this (laughs) at that point too I was also engaged in a mom community I was going to a regular play group I was I wasn't isolating myself um as many new moms find happen very easily um in the first year of momming and my husband's like well like what are you going to do? I was like, I don't know, but I need to tell people about this because this and this and this and this. <laughs> and I decided, literally, I said, maybe if it's, it becomes something, it becomes something. And if it doesn't, that's cool. I didn't know what it was going to be. Um, and I set up my camera, put it on my tripod, and went in for like eight minutes. <laughs> and it was fun. I, it was something that I just said, I'm just going to have fun with it. If it's just a random rant video type thing, um, that happens every now and again, great. And if it's something that happens regularly, great. I didn't put any expectation or pressure on it. And people responded phenomenally in a way Mm -hmm. that I wasn't anticipating. Um, I've 
created real friendships with mom friends digitally. Some friends I've never even met before and we're checking in on each other's children yeah. um, because of Instagram and because of Momo's Mama Monday being on Instagram and opening up that channel to have those honest, truthful conversations about the challenges of motherhood. And now it's become another way of expressing another vehicle in my six-car garage, if yeah. you will, mm-hmm. of my my creativity, of my purpose, of how, it exe- how I'm executing it. Because it's empowering other moms, to be honest, yeah. to find power in their story, and to engage in honest dialogue and conversations with other moms. Awesome. Awesome. It's something I love to watch. Uh, like I said, it's just the impeccable delivery you give and, <laughs> and, the, and the passion. Is, yeah. And is it's crazy. evolving, too, because it's one of those things that was really um, it's really fun for me because going back to the point of I wanted to be Oprah, um, it's now become like my own little talk show. I'm working on working. Uh, sorry, I'm working with guests. Mm-hmm. Um, for subsequent episodes. Yeah. And it's just really evolved into living out the purpose that I wanted to. I remember knowing, like, God literally telling me audibly, you're supposed to be this person. Like, you're supposed to be a reporter, a speaker, a writer, a, a journalist. Um, <laughs> and me thinking I had to go to journalism school to do it, yeah. not understanding that what I am doing through Momo's Mama Monday is actually a fulfillment of all the things that he told me, but it's not in the way that it's not packaged in the way that I had anticipated. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And isn't that just the beauty of life that, mm-hmm. um, and again, I use this analogy all the time that, uh, the, the, the King of the Jews came in something that wasn't a burning chariot of fire. Mm-hmm. Right? And you expect and you expect yes. and we have this idea of what the future should look like. Yes. But the future is actually happening to us mm-hmm. in the way that he, the Lord, has chosen for it to happen. But exactly. Because it's not the way that we have pictured it. Yes. And it is usually better than yes. we 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 we. Absolutely. Would ever dream it up. Hands down, yes. But it's it's happening. It's mm -hmm. happening, but it's not in the way that we have always seen it. Exactly. And that throws us off. It does. It really does. And I know my husband had to remind me of this so many times because even... So a perfect example would be when, when in 2017 and I was really questioning my approach and expressions of creativity and and purpose and everything and i'm like i don't have a story to tell that Mm. was like my big thing Mm. where i was like how can i write when i don't have a story to tell what story Uh am i telling and my husband's like maybe your story's coming maybe all the things that you've ever wanted will be on the other side of this pregnancy Mm -hmm. maybe the story is being birthed right now mm-hmm. you just have to wait yeah and i'd be like no <laughs> no we don't no yeah. that's not it i just need a story <laughs> and it real but he was right he had the ob- objectivity that i didn't have of looking in and being like your story is coming mm-hmm and he could see the package it was coming in but because i had this idea of what it would look like of course i wasn't willing to see or i'm not even willing i wasn't able i did not have the ability to see what was coming my way and we let go or rather we forego a whole lot of you know little crumbs here mm-hmm. there 
in there to make all of this come together, but it doesn't look like what we've always seen. Yeah. And we just, we let them go. Yeah. It was just this week my husband's like, you realize you've hit your Oprah goal, right? And I was like, what? Mm. I don't have like 10 yeah. million people following me and whatever mm. else and blah, yeah. blah. No. And he's like, no, no, you've created a space in your world mm-hmm. that reflects unique to you, unique to me in those little part of the internet slash the world that you get to take as your own, yeah. and you've created the reflection of what you needed it to look like mm-hmm. and be executed as. You, sure. you realize you reach your goal. I was like, oh, no, yeah, sure. <laughs> I have it. Yeah, sure. But when I really looked back at the most recent um, guest episode that we've recorded, I was like, I think he's right. Yeah, for sure. I really think he's onto something, which is a reminder to our listeners that just because it's not coming in the package in the way that you're anticipating it to doesn't mean that it's not for you. I hear you. Amen. That's a good word. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what uh, what does the future hold? Um, yeah, I'm not a particular fan of I that know what you question. Mean. <laughs> but, but where would you like all of this to to flow into? Where, mm-hmm. what, what what do you what do you see? One of the things that I was notorious for were five-year plans. Ever since someone told me when I was in university, you need a five-year plan. No, they're like, don't. what's your plan? I was like, I don't know. I guess like finish this year, see where, where it takes me. And they're like, okay. you don't know what you're doing when you're graduating? And they make you feel like less than- That actually was what triggered my anxiety. Oh, my God. Because I, was, I had it. It was like the seeds were there. And then I was like, I need a plan. And the five-year plan. And it was exact. the five-year plan. It had to be five. It had to Not be five years. years. Because how could you have a four-year plan? You do things in no, odd numbers, the, yeah. ones, threes, and fives. So, <laughs> so I was oh like with God. the five-year plan. And I still, in a sense, have a five-year plan, but it's very different. Mm-hmm. It's much more about experiencing my senses and not having, as being my, my benchmarks, and not having, like, actual benchmarks. Yeah. So... Who will be there in five years? Who will I wake up next to? Who will I be talking to on the phone, text message, telepathy, whatever we do in five years, who knows? Who will be my closest friends? Who will Mm -hmm. be my closest allies, my closest relationships? Yeah. Where will I be? Where would I ideally physically like to be? Would I like to be located here? Would I like to be located somewhere else in the country? Would I like to be on a tropical island? Would I like to be in a European country? Where would I like to visually see myself? When I look out the mirror, what am I seeing? Hmm. What am I doing when I wake up in the morning? Where am I going when I'm out about my day? It's okay if it's corporate as long as it's aligned with what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. It's okay if it's entrepreneurial and creative and performing, as long as it's aligned with what I'm supposed to be doing. It's okay to be a stay-at-home mom, as long as it's aligned with what I'm supposed to be doing. So who, what, where, when, I guess in the five years. (laughs) But how will I make this happen? I'll make this happen when I feel like the decisions I'm making will closely align with how I want to feel, see, taste, smell, experience 
to know that I've reached that success within the next five years. So where this will take me, I have no idea because if you asked me two years ago in 2017, literally of August of 2017, that what I wanted, what success would have looked like for me, mm-hmm. I could never have envisioned this because I am feeling and hearing and experiencing all the things that I would have hoped for, but it's not in the packages that I had, I would have anticipated it in. And we have to be very self-aware, I think, in Mm -hmm. my opinion, like we have to. And in your case, I've I've listened to you mention your husband over and over again, which is a fantastic thing, but we have to be um, at some point Mm -hmm. aware that the future is happening to us. Yes, Outside of that person, because as much as marriage brings two people together yeah. into one, yeah. you are still your own yeah. person. Yeah. You still have to serve your own purpose. For sure. Because when you have to face your God, mm-hmm. it's you. Yeah, for sure. By yourself. For sure. You can't be like, oh, well, my husband told me not to do this, so I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. You have to be accountable for your decisions and your actions and the repercussions that it has, not just for yourself, but for your family and her, whatever your circumstance may look like. Um, but you have to be your own individual. Before I go off on a different tangent, <laughs> you have to be your own individual, your own person, and be accountable to that. But the only way you can do that, to your point, is through having self-awareness. Yeah. Awesome. If it's not too much uh, putting you on the spot, um, if there's a, just a block of text that you could uh, perform from Shine, would that be okay? Um, yeah. It might I'm not just, be everything. Just give me just a moment a, yeah, to for sure. Take get a, there. Yeah, for sure. Take a, Let me just start from the beginning. Okay. Wherever we, uh, we stop, yeah, we're good. We're we'll good. see. I want my words to touch you in ways that my hands cannot. So please, listen carefully. Life can sometimes make you feel inadequate, make you feel invisible, make you feel you don't exist. But these are the times when you must persist. And these are the times when we need you to shine. And that's where I will stop it. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. It's been a fantastic time with you today. I've enjoyed it. Um, I couldn't I couldn't be more honored that you uh, that you came on the show and you've spoken to us some deep uh, deep truths about life and just about your journey and your creative process. We're very thankful. Thank for you your for time. having me. I'm very, very appreciative to be part of this. All right. We wish you the best, massive success, and hopefully we're able to get you on this show sometime in the future. Yes. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. All right. Thank you. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening to our show. You can find more on Alistal through her website at www.alistal.com and on Instagram at her handle at Alistal.